Welcome to Parkview. We're glad you're here. We are, I'm, I'm hyper. You just better be ready. It's baptism weekend. Um, welcome to you on the internet, wherever you're at. Listen, go find a bathtub and get baptized, okay? Just get her done. That's, that's what we're doing around here. Uh, we welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. We've had, I, as, as bad math as I can do, 176 baptisms so far this weekend between us and the Lockport campus. <laughs> We were, if you came in early, we were baptizing until right up until this service started. I mean, we did 90 people at the, at the 9 o'clock service here at this church, including uh, six sisters who did it together. Six sisters. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of elbows for me. And my daughter's seventh grade soccer coach. I mean, it was just, it was just so fun, so many fun stories. We baptized a guy last night. I was, I'll show you the video next week when, I, when we get it all put together. Um, the largest man I've ever baptized, ever. I mean, he was a big, big, big dude, and when he got baptized, he just, he kind of did it himself. So he displaced all of the water in the baptistry. <laughs> Richie and I just got drenched. It was hilarious. We have had so much fun. We're doing baptism, but, but before we get too far into that, we're going to do the offering up front, okay? And we want to do that because we want to have the end. I'm going to be in the tub. We're going to be doing baptisms. Uh, maybe your day, and uh, we're going to do that. So we're going to do the offering. Let me pray for the offering, and then we'll do this first. Lord, I thank you. Um, I, I do not take lightly, Lord, that you've called me to the coolest thing I could possibly have ever done. I could have been an Old Testament prophet talking to people who, you know, were going to throw me out of the village. I could have been, I could have been, you know, one of the New Testament people that had to be hung on a cross or impaled on a stick. But instead, you let me be in the 21st century with a, a, a crowd of people that are hungry for you in a, in a free America where I can preach about what you want me to say. And I get to watch people's lives transform before my very eyes. I do not take that lightly. And I'm so grateful for it. And maybe there's some lives in here that are going to be changed today. I hope all of us will be. Lord, let your spirit come down upon us. As we take the offering up right now, Lord, um, this is an example. Um, we, we, we're finishing up a chapel. We're, we just had a missions trip back from Brazil. We've got a lot of great things that are examples of of why we do what we do and why we give to this church. And um, I'm thankful for it. It's easy for me to stand up and say, hey, this is a worthy cause because uh, there's so much great ministry going on. So be with us and bless us as we pass the offering now. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. And just let me say, go ahead and do that. And let me say that, uh, you know, I really encourage you to get your online giving thing figured out. How cool would it be to get to December and not be going, oh, I wonder how much I've given. I, you know, I've got to get it done. Just do it online, then you know what's happening right up front. I, I want to encourage you with that. Um, random thing happening this week. I'm on uh, a Christian Talk Radio on Thursday afternoon from 4 to 6. It'll be broadcast from Parkview with Carl Clausen if you listen to WYLL AM. Um, I'm gonna be, we're going to do it here in the, in the cafe, and uh, Carl wants you to come by. He wants you to come by and say hi. Uh, We've got some prizes that are going to be given away and some different things like that. So uh, we're going to do a live broadcast Thursday afternoon. And if you're out in your car or whatever, listen. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, and you know how much trouble I can get in when that happens. So I would encourage you to dial into that one. Next weekend we're doing uh, suffering. Why suffering? I, I decided to save the hardest one for last because I'm a chicken, and so I'm going to talk about that next week. Why is there suffering in the world? And I know that uh, that's a deep subject for all of us to, to think through. Um, 
We're talking about why, in case you just wandered in or you just caught us on the internet. We're talking about why. Why, why do things happen? Why? Why? That's the big question. I've been asking for some uh, responses from the internet and from Facebook and Twitter. Um, here's a couple that I thought were pretty good. Jen Coomer wrote, uh, why does lemonade have artificial flavoring, but dishwashing liquid is made with real lemons? That's an excellent question, isn't it? Robert said, why do you never read the headline, Psychic Wins the Lottery? That's a good one. Jeffrey said, why, did, why do the bikers not give me the Harley wave when I'm riding my scooter? <laughs> Sorry, dude, I feel you. I understand. Uh, Jared said, why are there interstate highways in Hawaii? Good. Pete is a Cub fan, and he said, why is the Cub season every year like the movie Groundhog Day? Good. From Twitter, uh, Mark said, why is it called rush hour when you don't go anywhere? That is really an excellent question, isn't it? That is so dumb. Jason said, why doesn't PT own this? The bacon suit. How do you know I don't? What my wife and I do is none of your business. I hate, um, I hate stupid rules. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were in here, hon. Um, I, hate, I hate stupid rules, okay? I really hate stupid rules. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the guy that, that you know, I've, I almost got kicked out of Bible college, duh, a lot of times because I didn't want to follow stupid rules, okay? So what I'm going to talk to you about today is baptism, and I don't want you to see that as a stupid rule. There are still some stupid rules out in the world. In Lexington, Kentucky, it, there is an ordinance still on the books forbidding you from carrying an ice cream cone in your pocket. It's still there. What does that make you want to do? Carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. That's what it makes me want. Uh, this is even worse. In Zion, Illinois, it is illegal to, for anybody to give a lighted cigar to a dog or a cat. So what does that make you want to do? Give a cigar to a cat. That's what it makes you want to do. Here's a stupid rule. I love this. This is at the Royal Gorge. No fishing. It's 1,053 feet down, okay? That's just a stupid rule. I want to explain to you my reasoning for this baptism thing because what I don't want to, for you to feel like is that this is just another one of those stupid rules, okay? I, I, I don't want, this is not about me, this is not about the church, this is not about Parkview. I, I don't want you to feel that way. There was a little preacher's kid who was playing with his uh, you know, backyard pool one day and his mom wasn't watching real close and all of a sudden she heard the kittens, there was a whole litter of kittens, she heard the kittens meowing and screaming and scratching and and. and obviously in dismay, and she looked out the window to see Johnny baptizing his kittens in his little pool, you know, playing preacher. And she said, Johnny, stop that. You're going to drown those kittens. And Johnny said, well, they should have thought of that before they joined my church. If, if, you, see, if you see baptism as something that, that, that I make you do to join my church, then it just doesn't really do much good. I want you to understand that, that baptism is full of meaning for us, that there's a reason, okay? I'm going to explain it to you, and then I'm going to drown you, because you should have thought of that before you joined my church, okay? Uh, it's really important because I talked about a couple of weeks ago why the Bible is valid, okay? And the premise of the Bible being valid being God's Word, which is ultimately something you're going to have to believe because you want to. I'm never going to prove it to you. But if you believe that it's God's Word, then if God tells you something to do, 
then you ought to do it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And baptism is about that. Now, let me say right up front, all right? Look me in the eye, right up front. Baptism does not save you. I need you to understand that. If you could do something to save yourself, it would take away from the work of the cross. That, that, That just doesn't make any sense. And if I could do something to save you, it would put me in the place of Jesus Christ. If getting you wet in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost was all that was important, then every time I walked by a swimming pool and there was somebody next to me, I'd shove them in, right? I mean, because that, if that's all it is, if it's only about getting wet, then, then it really doesn't do any good. And, and a lot of you, here's why I say this, a lot of you grew up in a religious system where you were taught that your salvation was conditional on your observance of the sacraments, one way or the other. Yeah. Right or wrong, a lot of churches teach that the act of getting someone wet actually does save them. And that doctrine is called baptismal regeneration. And we do not believe that. Baptism is about what goes on inside of here. If it was just about getting you wet today, then this wedding photographer gets to go to heaven. Congratulations, you're in! Isn't that awesome? It's not about getting wet. However, Jesus does sometimes require an action for healing. All right? He sometimes requires an action for healing. It's important that you understand this. For example, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sees 10 lepers and they say, could you heal us? And Jesus says, of course I can. And it says, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, the scripture says, as they went, they were cleansed. It wasn't until they demonstrated the fact that they were able to go, until they demonstrated their faith, that they got healed. Now, did their obedience heal them? No. Did their walking to the priest heal them? No. It was Jesus that healed them. John chapter 9, there's a man born blind, and Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud and puts it on his eyes. And then he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, and he was washed, and he came home seeing. What cleansed him? The water? No. Obedience? No. Jesus did, but the faith had an action to it. Faith is always supposed to be expressed in action. The brother of Jesus, James, said, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And dead faith doesn't do any good. So what I want to consider today is what is, the, what is one, not, not the only, but what is one faith action that the New Testament instructs us to take when we want to be healed of our sin? And I will demonstrate this to you over and over again. One of the things is baptism. So first let's talk about the importance of baptism. Let's start where, where we should. We should start with Jesus. Right? Did Jesus get baptized? I mean, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I want to know, did Jesus get baptized? Jesus came from the Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, no, let's do this now. It is proper to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is an example that I want to set. Why? Because if Jesus hadn't got baptized, then all his followers would go, well, Jesus didn't do it. Why why would I need to do it? I want to do this because I I want this to be righteous. So John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Notice the form of baptism. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven saying, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's so. That's going to happen today. 
I, I don't know if the heavens are going to open or a dove's coming down, but, but God's looking down and saying, I'm pleased with you today. That's, that's what's going to happen. And I'm sorry, but that should be enough for you right there. If Jesus got baptized, then you're going to follow Jesus. He was sinless. You're not, so you ought to get baptized, all right? I want to follow Jesus, period. Well, what else did Jesus say about baptism? Well, it just so happens that just before he's going back to the Father, uh, to go back to heaven and to leave us here with the Holy Spirit, Jesus makes this statement, which we call the Great Commission. It's like the most important marching orders Jesus gives us, the last words of Jesus. He says, therefore, watch the four things we're supposed to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So my responsibility, if I'm following Jesus, is to make sure that all four of those things happen. And, that, and so is yours. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make sure that we go and we make disciples and we teach, but we're also supposed to baptize. So then your next natural question would be, well, what did the early followers think of baptism? Was it important to them? Well, the very first thing they asked people to do was to get baptized, ironically, or maybe not. Um, the people that are, that are listening to Peter preach the first sermon, you need to understand this right up front. Because some of you are going to say, oh, you know, I'm too bad to get baptized. You don't know what I've done. The people P Peter are preaching to right here are the people that killed Jesus. You may have done some bad stuff in your life, but you never yelled, crucify him, crucify him, when they were getting ready to kill Jesus. That's who these people are. And a few weeks later, Peter's preaching. He says, hey, you guys killed the Son of God. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, well, you know, Jesus told me that I'm supposed to go make disciples, baptize, and teach. So I would suggest we start with repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, for your children, and all who are far off in Lockport and Orland Park and wherever you're watching on the Internet in the 21st century, for all whom our Lord, the Lord our God will call. Everybody, that's for you. Promise of the Spirit, promise of forgiveness of sins, go be baptized. Seems pretty important. Well, then I could go through just about every example in the Bible, and I won't, I'm just going to pick one, but I could go through just about every example in the Bible of somebody coming to faith in Christ, and almost every one of them includes baptism. Acts 8 is my favorite, because it's a guy who's not from Jewish background. He's, a, he's, a, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's the treasurer of Ethiopia. He's a very important official. And, and, and he's reading, he's been to Jerusalem for some reason, business, I don't know, and he's heard about Jesus and he's heard about the resurrection. And so he's on his way back and he's reading the, the Bible while he's on his way back. But the only Bible he's got is the Old Testament, so he's reading Isaiah and he's trying to figure out if Isaiah is talking about this Jesus guy he just heard about in Jerusalem. And the, the Spirit of God tells Philip, hey, Philip, go up and talk to this guy. So he goes up and he talks to the guy, and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, no, I have no idea. And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now listen, nothing else, we don't have any other information. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? What happened there? Well, evidently, Philip told him about Jesus, and while he was telling him about Jesus, 
told him about baptism. And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, notice the mode of baptism, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And that can happen to you today too, my friends. Hopefully the Spirit's not going to zap me out of here, but you can go on your way rejoicing just like he did. Notice a couple of things. The mode of baptism was obviously immersion. It was also in the wilderness. Uh, so I've got to tell you, you don't need to do it in front of everybody. You don't need to do it today. Uh, there's no requirement for that in the Bible. You can do it anytime you want. I would just recommend that you call ahead so we can turn the heater on. Can I get an amen? Any of you that got the polar bear baptism club thing? Yeah, okay. All right, but, but, but really, just notice that it was spontaneous and it was today. And I, I want you to know that because that might be where you're at today. It, it was spontaneous and it was today. And evidently, the news of Jesus that Philip shared with this guy had to do something to do with baptism. Because I'll be honest with you, I've never met somebody and said, Oh, it's nice to meet you. Hey, look, there's water. Let's go jump in. I mean, evidently... Evidently, something happened along the way. I put it this way. Evidently, it was important enough for Philip to mention baptism the first time he talked to this guy. And it was important enough for the Ethiopian that he do it right then and there. There was a creek. They went and they did it right then and there. Right. So that's the importance. Let's talk about the method of baptism for a minute. Baptism was done by immersion. Right. Never better demonstrated than by my favorite scene from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Ain't <laughs> uh, that great? That's my sermon. Let's just pass communion now, because that was, that was it. The baptism was by immersion, and there's a reason for it, okay? The form of baptism was changed later to sprinkling babies by the church, and I know that's how a lot of you got done, but I just need to, I just need to show you some scholars. I want you to see some scholars, some of the people that maybe your church came from along the way, that will tell you exactly what I'm saying. John Calvin, who started the Presbyterian Church, the Reformed Church, Baptist Church, the word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the primitive church. Martin Luther, the reformer, baptism is a Greek word and translated immerse. I would have those who are being baptized to be altogether dipped. Does that surprise you that grew up Lutheran? That Martin Luther would say that? I mean, the guy who started it would say that, and yet Lutherans sprinkle babies. John Wesley, buried with him by baptism, alluding to the ancient manner of baptizing by immersion. Wall, an Episcopalian. Immersion was in all probability the way Jesus, our blessed Savior, and for certain the way which ancient Christians received their baptism. I've been to the Holy Land. I've seen the ancient baptismal fonts. They're tubs, okay? They got baptized by immersion. Brenner, a Catholic scholar from Notre Dame, for 1,300 years was baptism an immersion of person under water. That, that's how it always was in the Bible. And the New Testament was written in Greek, all right? And when you're reading Greek, that word, baptism, isn't a word. The word is baptizo, which means immerse. Literally, the word baptism means immerse in the Bible. Every time you read it, they had to make up a new word when they translated the Bible into English. Understand, they changed this in 1300s, and in 1600, 1611, was the first time we got an English translation of the Bible. And by this time, everybody's sprinkling babies. So they couldn't very well translate the Bible into immerse because nobody was immersing. And everybody go, why don't we immerse? 
And they have to go, well, because we changed it 300 years ago. So instead, they just took this word baptizo and transliterated it and made a new word out of it, baptism. And that's what we talk about as baptism anymore. But that's not what it meant. All right? The, the word was the word that you used if you... If you, I'm going to show you this passage from Paul. If you take a, a piece of fabric and you, and you want to dye it a different color, you would, you would baptizo. Right? Here, this is the scripture from Paul. All of you who are children of God through faith, you are all immersed into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. Right? If you've ever done tie-dye, you know that you don't stick the whole thing. That's how you get tie-dye, right? But if you want the whole thing to change color, then that's what you do. You dip the whole thing in, and the whole thing changes. And he goes on. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all the same. And in another passage, Paul says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You know what's interesting about that? It's one immersion. I mean, that's how you would translate it. So when you read these scriptures, you understand that the word means immersion. Secondly, baptism was for believers. Every baptism in the Bible was for somebody who was able to make their own decision, which is what I want to encourage you to do today. Jesus loved children. He blessed children. He, he, he made sure that people took care of the children, but he never baptized the child. And what, what parents are doing in the baptism process for their children is they're making a decision for their children, which is the same thing we do here In baby dedications, we're saying, we're going to make sure that you know about Jesus. We're going to do our part. But then at some point, in every other religious system, you confirm it later. So basically you're doing the same thing, except that we've moved baptism back to the place where it was supposed to be in the first place, so that you don't confirm something your parents did for you, you just do it. And it doesn't have to be at a specific age. I baptized kids from seven through high school in, in, in this tub this weekend. There's not a specific age. Some kids are ready earlier. Some are ready later. It's up to you. It's up to them because they're making their own decision. You understand that? I was thinking about this this morning trying to explain it, and, and it occurred to me that the, the, the system that we have in most religious structures today is the same as an arranged marriage. I mean, if, if, if you grow up in India or a place where there's an arranged marriage, your, 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 your parents say, okay, uh, you're going to marry Johnny over here. And so you get old enough and you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to marry Johnny. And you're going to have this little ceremony, right? That's kind of what I think the baptism and coming to Christ thing is in a lot of religions. Your parents say, well, you're going to be a Christian. So you grow up and say, okay, I'm going to be a Christian. But, but, but what we are in America are people who want to stand up in front of people and say, I choose this person. This is my decision, not somebody else's decision. And it may be, you know, splitting hairs, but I believe that that's the way that it ought to be. And I don't care how other churches are doing it. Please don't mishear me. I'm not saying Mother Teresa's in hell because she never got baptized by immersion, okay? I mean, she's in a way higher place than me in heaven and always will be. Jesus told me that, all right? But, but, but this is what I'm telling you. This is what it ought to be for you. You ought to be doing it. This is, this is your decision. Baptism by sprinkling babies wasn't official in the church until 1311 when the Council of Ravenna met and decided that it would be good to do this. Now, why would they sprinkle babies? Well, they started sprinkling because they were worried about somebody that couldn't get dunked because they believed in baptismal regeneration, because they believed that the act of baptism saved you. So we better figure out if it's okay to sprinkle because if you don't have water on your head, you're not going to heaven. Why would they start sprinkling babies? Because some kings started worrying about what happens if my kids die and they haven't been baptized. 
Well, if you believe in baptismal regeneration, you're going to move the the process to sprinkling babies. If you believe that this is a decision about your heart, you're going to do what you want to do. And I've got to tell you, I don't care what the church said in 1311. I care about what Jesus taught back in the beginning. And there are a lot of things, friends, that the church has changed along the way. You know, back a a thousand years ago, they started arguing about the clergy marrying, right? And so now the the Greeks split off of the Romans, and and so now some churches don't allow their priests to marry. And I think a lot of people, including my Catholic priest friend who's getting married now after 40 years and having to leave the church, I think a lot of people would say, well, that was kind of a dumb idea. I don't know why they decided to do that all those years ago. And there are other churches that say, you should have six wives, you know? I don't listen to those churches either because that's a super dumb idea. Can I get an amen? <laughs> super dumb. It's dumb squared or dumb six times or whatever, okay? I don't care what those churches say. You know, and you come down to a lot of other things. If you don't want to eat, you know, beef on Friday and just have fish, that's fine. Do that. But, but, but when the church comes along and says it has to be this way, it doesn't work for me because it's just another no fishing from the Royal Gorge Bridge sign to me. All right? I just want to go back and find out what Jesus did. Is that fair? Okay. The third thing I want to talk about is the purpose of baptism. The purpose of baptism, this is why I think immersion as an adult or as a grown-up, as a believer, is important. Because number one, it was a demonstration of humility. Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child, unless you become humble. Because salvation requires us to say, you know what, I can't do this on my own. famous atheist once said, the problem with religion is that they're always telling people that they're not good enough. That's exactly right. I, I couldn't agree more. The truth is, on our own, I'm not good enough. And if you are good enough, then please don't get in the water. You'll mess us all up, all right? We don't don't need you. You you don't even need to be here because we are not the not good enough Christian church. That's who we are. The humbling part of baptism is to admit that you're a sinner. And what are you going to do? You're going to get all wet. Your $60 hairdo is going to get all messed up, right? Nothing glamorous about it. I'm sorry if your wife spends more than $60. I, I understand, okay? All that stuff, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not humiliating, but it's a humbling thing. And the problem is we like to be adequate. I want to do it myself. I'm going to pull my, my bootstraps, you know? That's what it is. But the cross is about us coming to Jesus and saying, I can't save myself. That's why I love the act of baptism. Second, baptism was an initiation ceremony was an initiation ceremony. And I believe people want that. I believe that, that people want to do something to demonstrate what went on in their heart. The reason I believe that is kind of interesting because, believe it or not, we've been working on Easter. We're well past Christmas here, and we've been working on Easter and what we're going to do for Easter. And we've decided that we're going to go back and do what we did in 2008 when we did the bridge up on stage. I haven't even told my crew that yet, so they're like, oh crud, we've got to build the bridge again. Sorry guys, you're going to build the bridge again. Where we did the bridge up on the stage, and we, had, we, we did the, the Palm Sunday was about the chasm that is between us and God, and, and Easter Sunday was about the bridge and the cross and what Jesus did for us. Really cool visual. Here's the interesting thing, when we did that six years ago, 
um, we said, we just said kind of randomly, hey, and by the way, if there's something on your heart, if you want to, if you would like to like make some kind of a, a commitment or some kind of a prayer or something to God, and you want to come up here on stage and walk across the bridge symbolizing what something is going on inside, you're welcome to do that. And we had like 7,300 people that Easter, and 4,000 of them walked across the bridge. I mean, people were walking across the bridge until the next service started. Because, why? Because there's something inside of us that wants to say, I, I, I want to I show something. I want to do something. Now, the problem is, I made the bridge thing up. That's not in the Bible. That was, that was, that's, not gonna, that's not what it's supposed to be. Baptism was supposed to be your initiation ceremony. You get that, right? You joined a frat, you joined a, a Cub Scouts, you've done something, and there was some kind of a little ceremony. You got married. If you're married, you had, a, you had a ceremony, and you stood in front of either a justice of the peace or even more people, and you said, uh, this is what I want to do. That was, that was something you can look back on and go, okay, I, I remember when that happened. The truth of the matter is, I don't remember when I first came to Jesus. I grew up in Jesus. I grew up in the church. Uh, the first song I learned to sing was Jesus loves me this I know. There, there's not a moment in my, in my life when I can look back and go, yeah, it was that moment when Jesus came to me or, or when something happened or, or when that thing happened. There's not a moment when I could say that. But I can look back at April 12, 1970 when I was eight and a half years old and I walked down the aisle and I walked up and uh, there a big baptistry behind the stage you know, with the little glass thing in front of it. And my dad took my confession of faith and lowered me under the water. I remember that. That was my initiative. That was my step. Okay? My favorite story about it all is a guy who moved into a Catholic neighborhood. And uh, everybody in this neighborhood was Catholic except him. He was a, he was a Protestant of some kind and, and a Baptist. He was a Baptist guy, and he, and he moved in. And so the first Friday of Lent, everything's great. He's getting to know the neighbors. The first Friday of Lent, he's cooking a steak out on the grill, okay? And all the neighbors are like, oh, who is this guy? We hate this guy. This is not going to work, you know, because we've got to eat our, our stinking fish, and this guy's out cooking a steak. And so after, you know, every Friday in Lent, he's cooking a steak, cooking a steak. So finally, they, you know, they, they, they get together and are like, dude, you know, we love you in the neighborhood, but you've got to understand, we're all Catholics here. You get this? We're all Catholics, and we, you know, you ought to be a Catholic. You might as well just become a Catholic because, you know, that would just make a lot, things a lot easier. This whole eating steak on Friday thing, it's really messing us up. And so he's like, well, okay, cool. So he goes to the priest, and he goes through his classes, and he's like, you know, okay, what i got to do? And the priest's like, you got to do this, and you got to do that. And they get to the initiation ceremony. They get to his baptism. And at his baptism, the priest takes a little water, and he pours it on his head, and he says, you were born a Baptist, you were raised a Baptist, and now you are a Catholic. Everybody cheered. Everybody thought it was great. They went back and had a, had a, had a great summer together and, you know, had a blast together and, until the next Lent season rolled around. And it was Friday. And all of a sudden, they smelled steak. And they were like, oh, no, maybe John doesn't know it's Lent. He doesn't, maybe he forgot. He's new to this. We better get over there. So they're calling each other on the phone. Come on, you guys, we've got to get over there. They get over there just in time to see John out on the grill with a little bit of water pouring onto the stake, <laughs> saying, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, but now you are a fish. <laughs> Amen. It's a long setup, but it's a good baptism joke, isn't it? <laughs> it was an initiation ceremony, and lastly, it was a uniting with Jesus' death. 
Okay, this is really important. Don't you know, Paul said, that all of us, and let me just read this the way they would have read it in the Greek. Don't you know that all of us who are immersed into Christ were immersed into his death? Doesn't this make a lot more sense now? We were therefore buried with him through immersion into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him in his death, then we'll be united with him in his resurrection. You see the symbolism there? It's a, it's a death. I mean, we, we had a couple of people get baptized in the Amazon River. Here's a picture of Danielle and Colleen who got baptized on our mission trip in Brazil. That's in the Amazon. There's piranhas in there. I mean, they're taking this seriously, you guys. Look at the death and the burial and the resurrection. Baptism was supposed to be a tomb that we go, we get lowered under, and then when you come up again, you're a new creation in Christ. That's the way it was designed to be. When, when your physical body dies, then it it's, doesn't matter. And listen, I know, I know a lot of you have been baptized and confirmed, but I would encourage you that this is an opportunity for you to take a step for yourself. Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus, Saul was the guy who uh, was killing Christians. Again, another story of, do you think you're too bad? Saul of Tarsus was killing Christians. Jesus appears to him. He goes blind. He goes to Ananias. Ananias is there. Paul says, dude, what should I do? I'm blind. I've want I got, I got to follow Jesus because he knocked me off, his, off my horse. I mean, he, literally, he came to me. I've got to follow Jesus. What am I supposed to do? Ananias said it this way. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Calling on his name. That's what I would say to you. Now, some people are going to give me, you know, some arguments, so let me just talk them through, all right? Well, Tim, I'll get baptized when I get my act together. I've heard that a lot. You know what that comes from? That comes from, that comes from you people that think that you're going to have something to do with the salvation process. And that's wrong, okay? When are you going to get your act together? You, your friends, your family, all of us, we'd really like to know when you're going to get your act together, Okay? We really would, because it's not going to happen on your own. It's not going to, I'm not going to get my act together on my own. I can't get my act together unless I've got God living inside of me. The fruits of the Spirit can't be there unless the Spirit is inside of me. So baptism is supposed to be where you start, not where you get yourself cleaned up. So why would you get cleaned up to get a bath? Does that make any sense? The dirtier you are, the more you need baptism. We had a, a woman get baptized last year who had a tattoo that was the initials for do I look like I give a F tough background woman who was very far from God she got baptized she's following God now she now tells people that that tattoo stands for do I look like God's awesome follower? You're not going to get it done on your own. Like the woman who went to the aerobics class and the aerobics instructor said, well, be sure to wear loose clothing. She said, if I had any loose clothing, I wouldn't need an aerobics class. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right? If you don't need Jesus, then don't worry about it. But if you need Jesus, this is where you start. In the tub, all right? If you have righteousness, you don't need this. But if you need some righteousness, come and join us. Well, here's another, here's another excuse. I can't do it today. Why not? Nobody in the Bible waited around. They did it that day. The guy was like, there's a creek. Let's go. Dunk me, okay? 
You could say, well, I haven't had a baptism class yet. Duh. What was this? Baptism 101, okay? Oh, wait, right hand. Baptism 101. There you go, okay? You're done. You say, well, I don't have a towel. We've got like 150 towels back there waiting for you. They've been washing and drying them ever since we started this thing, okay? You say, well, I don't have a change of clothes. Your clothes will dry. It's going to be 50 degrees in November in Chicago. That ought to be a sign to you today, okay? Oh, well, I wore light-colored clothing. It's too revealing. Hey, I don't want to see that either. i got a dark T-shirt for you. Okay, got you covered. Oh, but, but Tim, i got to drive home. I'll get my car seats all wet. We've got a plastic bag. We'll put it in your seat. You'll be fine. Well, what about my stuff? I've got my wallet and my cell phone. My precious. <laughs> we'll put it in a baggie for you, okay? And we'll hand it to you on the way out. Give it to your friend. Come on. Knock it off. There's other things out there. Oh, here's one I hear a lot. But my family's not here. You know what? This isn't about you and your family. This is about you and God. we got video cameras. We'll, we'll send you a picture. You know what? You need to do this now. Don't be waiting around for your family because they might not care. They might not want to be here. Just get it done. And another one I thought of today too is, is you know, I, I don't go to this church. You know, I don't want to get baptized into the church. Hey, please don't think we're baptizing you into the church. We don't baptize into the church. We baptize into Jesus. If you've been baptized at another church, welcome. We're glad you're here. You don't need to do it again. But you might be here today, and you might, and you might be watching me on the Internet. Go, go get baptized. It doesn't have to be a clergy person. It's about you. It's about you and God. And if you want to do it here today with us, then, then join us. All you've got to do, and you saw some people get up a minute ago. They're ready to go. All you've got to do is go to the back and sign up, because we really want to get your information. We want to help you because we want to make disciples. We don't just want to win converts. We want to make disciples. So we want to help you. We want to get your information. At some point during this service, just get up and go back to the back and sign up and we'll get you ready to go. It's really that simple. I'll read you my best, from the last year, the best testimony I had is from a young girl named Ariel who was a teenage girl who found hope and healing at the Bridge Teen Center, which is uh, part of something we're a part of over in Orland. She's a girl who had a really, really rough family background. She'd been living in a shelter and had a bad family situation, and she wrote about the day she was baptized at Parkview. It was a creative writing project for her school. I thought it was cool. She sent it to me. She said, It hasn't been easy, but I want to be strong. Priscilla, the lady from the Bridge Teen Center, has been there through thick and thin these last few months, and I want to show her that I've grown even though this tough time, this is a tough time living in a filthy, volatile shelter tormented by horrible people that call themselves my family. Today was supposed to be a happy day. Priscilla said, I hope you don't mind, but I told your story to some people at church and they might mention some of it before your baptism. It's okay, I trust you. I still, I still can't believe I'm getting baptized, she said. Listen to this. For years, I had someone call me the devil's child. And I believed it. I looked back at her and I could see her eyes tearing up. She said, Ariel, a mom doesn't talk to her daughter like that. You are not the devil's child. You are a beautiful and strong young lady. And today you're going to know that you're God's child. This is a brand new start. This is it. We should go in and get our seats. I could feel the butterflies in my stomach. I began to realize it was only a short matter of time before my life started over. We sat down, the service went on, my chest tightened, 
I tried my best not to tear up. Everything the pastor was saying somehow seemed directed towards what I was going through. When it was time, we went backstage and we got ready. And she smiled and wrapped her arms around me and gave me a hug and said, I'm so proud of you. At that moment, my chest squeezed even tighter and the waterfall I'd been holding in threatened to pour out. It had been so long since somebody had genuinely said that to me. A second later, the music started again. The pastor started to introduce my baptism. And I peered behind the curtain that separated me, the stage, and the congregation. There were butterflies again. There were a lot of people out there. I got into the baptismal pool, and the water was warm, but the goosebumps on my arm could have given the impression that the water was freezing cold. Next thing I knew, the pastor was in the water with me, and he began to tell a little bit of my story. About halfway through his talk, a waterfall came pouring out of me. I felt his arm around my shoulders. Then he baptized me, and as I came up out of the water again, I could hear the congregation clapping for me. When I came out of the baptismal pool, I looked up and I saw Priscilla crying. As I was headed, handed towels to dry off, everything felt like a dream. I took a couple of minutes to change and to dry off, and then my mentor and I left this church. How do you feel, she asked. I thought about it for a minute. Everything seemed to have happened so fast, I was still taking it in. But I said, I feel great. The feeling was indescribable, and it was an experience I would never forget. From the devil's child to God's child. And one little act could happen for you right now. And if you're on the fence, there's a bunch of people that aren't on the fence. If you're on the fence, I have one question for you. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, call on his name. God, be with us as we do this right now. We pray that your spirit would be here. We pray that we would feel you open up the, the heavens and descend down upon us so that every person that does this right now feels you saying, that's my son. That's not the devil's son. That's my daughter. That's not the devil's child. That's my child, and I am pleased with them. If there are people that are thinking about it now, Lord, you speak to them. You know if it's their time. Be with us as we do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.